0: Welcome back to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Another episode taped at the Honey Creek State Park in Centralville, Iowa, where Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is hosting our all-team meeting, which means we have a in-studio audience. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> And uh, this particular episode, we are going to be diving deep into the Habitat Organization's presence in the western United States, and that does include Pheasants Forever, it does include Quail Forever. Hi Chad Bloom, how are you? (laughs) And it it includes uh, Sage Grouse Initiative and all sorts of things that we have going on in the western United States, making his second appearance On On The Wing Podcast, the guy that's kind of a globetrotter He's been in Australia, uh, England, uh, currently lives in Reno, Nevada Matt Harding, welcome back to On The Wing
1: Thanks for having me back, I I guess I I made a good impression the first time around
0: You're you're kind of the pseudo-co-host for this episode Okay. You didn't know that until right now. (laughs) (laughs) You
1: spring a lot of things on me.
0: (laughs) Uh, And making uh, his inaugural debut, uh, a guy that uh, went to college in the UP. So we're like blood brothers. (laughs) Yeah,
2: we've probably walked some of the same woods. Uh,
0: (laughs) Really? You think you know where my ground spots are, huh? (laughs) Maybe a one or two. (laughs) Chad Harvey, welcome to On the wing.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, Al Iden, our Western Regional Director, making his uh, first appearance on, on the Wing Podcast. Welcome. Oh, no,
3: thanks, Bob. Appreciate
0: it. So, you know, as I talked about, we're going to talk um, uh, a lot about what's happening in the Western United States, but uh, I'd like to paint the picture with who, who our voices are a little bit. So let's um, let's give folks a little bit more of a background. We'll start with uh, Matt. You know, you don't have to tell your whole life's journey across the globe, but maybe a snapshot of, um, you know, where you grew up, uh, some of the stops along the way, and how you ended up living in Reno representing uh, chapters in the western United States.
1: Okay, so I'll keep it kind of quick. So I was born in Montreal, Canada. Uh, Moved around quite a lot as a kid. I moved to Sydney, Australia. Moved to London. Um, Spent a long time in London. Did high school uh, on the east coast in Connecticut did college in Florida went back to the UK for another decade or so came over and lived in Los Angeles Oregon now Reno
0: you guys catch that <laughs> there will be a quiz later and, and one nugget is you were um, at once upon a time you were toured the world as a DJ
1: I did yeah
0: did you have a stage name
1: no I used my real name um, you, if you look on SoundCloud, you'll find some of my music there. And
0: what kind of music?
1: Uh, house and techno, all electronic stuff, and uh, mostly toured around Europe, but I did Africa, a bit of Asia as well.
0: Wow! So, uh, do you sing it all, or is that all? Definitely not. No. <laughs> well, that just took one of the the fun components out of the podcast. I was going to have you sing for it. So. Never happening. <laughs> Uh, um, all right, moving moving over to Chad, yeah. uh, a fellow Michigander.
2: Yeah, like, like I think I told you last night, uh, troll by birth, youper by choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up in a small town about two hours south of Mackinac Bridge, four hours north of Detroit, right on Lake Huron, a little, little town called Harrisville. And then went to college in the UP at Michigan Tech for four and a half years. Go uh, Huskies. Go Huskies, my yeah. Dad, my dad was a Husky. Good, yeah, at least he didn't go to Northern. Oh, Wildcats. <laughs> yeah, and then after college, moved out to Oregon for 12 and a half years, and, uh, you know, moved to Montana in 2017 to work for Pheasants Forever, so it's it, been really cool.
0: And today, uh, you represent the state of Montana, so all yep. the chapters in the state. hmm And, and I, I guess, you know, I don't know that I clarified that for you, Matt. You represent all the chapters in what states?
1: Uh, basically, the whole Northwest, uh, so I've got... Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, and a little bit of Northern California, and um, and I live in Nevada, and we're setting up a chapter there pretty soon.
0: Nice. And Al, you are the Western Regional Director. How'd you get there?
3: I am. Well, I actually grew up in uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Grew up in the shadows of a you know a strip mall back when those things people used to go to those before Amazon. And, uh, you know, kind of got my introduction into the into the wildlife world by watching my dad leave once a year for deer hunting. It's the only time he ever left. Huh. The only time he ever left. So I'll pack him up. With that. This has got to be cool. The only time my dad leaves is for this week to call, called deer hunting. Couldn't wait for it. So I finally got to go and I figured out, wow, it is pretty cool. So so I grew up there. I started, started uh, working. I uh, got my introduction into pheasants forever when I started working in west central Minnesota. And I started to actually managing wildlife areas for the Minnesota DNR and did a lot of work to do prairie restorations, all that fun stuff that you guys do and, and enjoy, and that's when I really got my introduction to bird hunting. So that's when I really started Ooh. bird hunting. Um, and then when, uh, one spring, it was, I don't know, I can't remember what year it was, but I know it was May and it snowed a lot, and my wife looked at me and said, I'm not doing this again. If you want to stay married, you find a different place to live and work. I was like, oh, okay. So I ended up in Arizona. Went moved to Arizona. That's how I got out west. And
0: how long ago was that?
3: That's, oh, God, that was uh, 14 years ago now. Okay. So, so I moved to Arizona, started work for the Arizona Game and Fish Department, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. So I kind of mo- lost track of the whole bird thing for a little while because I got to chase elk and mule deer and, you know, big, cool things like that. And suddenly I got kind of sick and tired of not being able to get drawn for those cool animals every year hmm. and it became a born-again bird hunter and that's hmm. that started bird hunting again and we got three three cool quail down in Arizona and and then kind of gravitated back to back to pheasants forever and that's how I got here and I've been with us for a little over a year now
0: and, and uh, as a regional director what does that mean for folks listening what, what I
3: do wish you I knew too yeah. you know but uh <laughs> no I uh, what wh- what uh what that means to me anyways is, is is um you know I represent our organization in in a third of the the country right Mm -hmm. you know we got 11 states out there and and uh it's both pheasants forever and quail forever so I get I get both both parts of the organization and uh my job is to just kind of build partnerships raise awareness of our organization out there we're uh you know where we are we're strong but we're not that many you know we're not that many right now and so we have lots of opportunities to grow and you know Chad and and Matt are going to be a huge part of that and uh and just kind of let everybody know what, what the core of, of our world knows is that, you know, we are the best agency or best organization to get it on the ground work done.
0: And it, you know, it's interesting from a, a perspective of where you would think an organization like ours would be strong. You know, it, it, it's natural South Dakota, right? They, mm-hmm. There's a ton of birds there. But you also think where pheasants first came to the United States, right? right? The Willamette Valley, Valley yeah. in Oregon. Yeah, And, you know, things have changed a lot since the late 1800s when those birds were, were first put on that landscape. You know, uh, in terms of uh, their, their birthplace in the United States, can you still go to the Willamette Valley and find pheasants? Or is that uh, a pretty tough endeavor based on habitat right now? You
2: can find a lot of, a lot of wineries.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think that's part of the reason yeah. there's not many birds there anymore.
2: Hmm. you
1: can still get them you can still hunt
2: birds right on sylvia island right outside of portland you, you might get shot in the process but uh <laughs> either by the and, duck hunters but yeah by the duck hunters and there's still a lot of birds in the, in the columbia river gorge of oregon but yeah in the willamette valley a lot of that habitat's turned into wineries it's so, pretty
3: tough yeah pretty tough
0: and, and when we talk about the west you know the west is a big place yeah right we, we're from yeah. our perspective as an organization. We're basically talking from Colorado to the Pacific Ocean.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right? I always say I cover New Mexico to Montana over to the ocean. I mean, yeah. that's a big, it's a big area.
0: What so. are some of the bigger habitat issues when you talk about a landscape as large as, as the Western United States?
3: Well, so when you're talking, I mean, issues. I don't, you know, is a is a. Hab- what's what's a causing broad word, habitat loss so you know we're looking at invasives right and we're, we're dealing with fire so we're having cheat grasses coming in in a lot of places and it's 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 out competing some of the native sagebrush habitat and uh we have long-standing fire suppression so in our forested areas we have way more trees than we need to and you, you know every year you probably hear about the wildfires mm-hmm. that are going on and you know pick a state and uh so, so we have some major forest ma- forestry management issues that we have to deal with. And then, you know, we just got a, a, an overall drought, right? Lack, of west is dry anyways. And now, you know, depending on where you're at, you have severe droughts and less severe droughts. So so water is critical. Everywhere in the west, water is the mm-hmm. thing. You find water, you find wildlife. And uh, so so those things, a lot of those, you know, what kind of control do you have over, over drought, right? right. So, so taking those challenges down, and, and just like anywhere else, I guess other challenges are there's a lot of people moving to the west, there's a lot of fragmentation, there's you know there's roads, there's wind energy, there's gas, there's oil. Um, and so working in a landscape like that where there's all these things going on and, and trying to balance some wildlife benefits and wildlife itself, we really have to find creative ways to work with all these different it's things. It's almost an unfair question. Right? <laughs> because you
0: start thinking about uh, pheasants versus quail, what's happening in Montana versus Arizona, I mean... It, The world apart, right? right. So let's let's uh, let's walk around the map a little bit. Let's start with Montana, yeah, Uh, because Montana is probably the closest, from my perspective, to kind of a midwestern pheasant state. It's CRP is bread and butter. You know, unfortunately, I'm going to let the secret out. You know, Montana is one of the best darn places in the world to chase pheasants, sharp tails, and huns. That. You know beautiful setting lots of birds not a lot of bird hunters Shh. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> is that pretty accurate i mean crp is is a key in montana it, it it
2: can be for sure i think al kind of touched on some of the bigger issues too and you're talking about dry land farming and you're talking about you know it can be very difficult very weather dependent to get any sort of habitat restoration going you know in any given year of pl- getting a planning to take uh, you're talking with our biologists. Just the, se- the, the amount of time that goes into a seed mix, you know, and really selecting what what could work in that environment is is a challenge in and of itso- itself. And you know, again, it's just been a terrible couple of years for wildfires and, and and those sorts of things out there. Just a you know very, in my opinion, weather dependent sort of situation. Ooh. Yeah, it's probably one of the few places I know nesting and brood rearing cover overall you know it's probably one of the limiting factors for birds but there's places in montana it's probably winter cover too mm-hmm. you know we got good food uh winter cover in the winter and and uh you know getting a little rain in the summer is extremely important
0: so as i think about you know programs and habitat i you know, i think crp and grass in montana and i categorize colorado that way colorado, yeah. uh washington has you know one of the top I think, five numbers of CRP acres in the entire nation, which yep. is a little yep. bit surprising to a lot of folks. But then that's where CRP sort of ends, and EQIP becomes the program of the West, that's right? right? That's right. So yeah. explain EQIP for us. So
3: EQIP is a, is a working lands program. It's an incentive program. It's, uh, you know, the idea is to keep, keep ranchers ranching but also do conservation measures for air, water, and wildlife. And so... The idea behind Equip is you, you you get to make a, a plan with some with one of our biologists potentially, or work with our, one of our partners, the Natural Resource Conservation Service (NRCS). And you come and look at what you can do for to keep again to keep the the rancher profitable and to do good things for wildlife, and you manage the lands that way. And then there's incentive payments that go with that to help offset some of the costs to do what we want done or what they want done on the landscape so
0: and that plays right in to sage grouse
3: it does it does so you know crp is a cropping you know you have to have a cropping you history know, history to, yep. to en- enroll in that 95 percent of all grazing land is in our western 11 states and so what
0: was that statistic 95 percent
3: of all grazing land in the country is in the western united no kidding. states yeah okay. so so um you know in those other places where CRP doesn't apply, that's where EQIP comes in, and there's there's a couple other programs that the Farm Bill has that, that can come into play. Um, but EQIP's the main one. And then, you know, from, from that, you kind of touched on the sage-grouse initiative. Mm-hmm. So talking about some of the cool things that we're doing out west, I mean, that's really one of the things that's helped highlight what we can do, what our organization is good at. We're good at getting on-the-ground work done. Sage-grouse initiative has been going since, you know, 2009, 2010, um, we just celebrated in that initiative hitting over seven million acres of, of habitat restored or impacted. That's pretty cool. It's 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 bigger than seven states or eight cool. states in the country. You know, I mean, that's how big of an impact there, that that initiative has had. And our part of that, you know, our our coordinator Michael Brown keeps telling me he's like, hey, you got to keep mentioning this. Our guys, the people that PF employs, uh, impacted over 3 million of those 7 mm. million acres. So we have done a lot in the in the landscape.
0: And, and as I talk to folks around the country, they don't they don't realize pheasant's forever and quail forever's role in the sage grouse right. initiative. What about our chapters in the west, our members in the west do they know the the role that it, our organization's played? You
3: know, it, it, that that partnership so you know, you, you hear the term lead, leading by with your chin. I mm-hmm. mean, that 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 initiative came on with with a bunch of partners getting together, NRCS come with state agencies, and, 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 and pheasants and quail forever, but our chapters kind of are coming along afterwards, right? And so we've actually had to explain this to them after we got started. And they're engaging, right? They're, they're supportive, they understand it, but, but uh, we've actually we kind of got a long ways to go with letting our chapters know what we're doing for them. In, in with the sage Cross initiative and so yeah. that's where matt and, and, and chad are here to kind of i would help say me. they're
2: becoming way more educated it's just unfortunately we have the best volunteers anywhere and they're too humble i mean they need to they need to be talking a little bit more about what we're doing because in what they're doing too but uh you know it's certainly come a long way in their education level of what we're doing on, on the whole western landscape
0: tell, tell me about um some of the motivations for the chapter volunteers in the Western states. Uh, you, you represent Montana and we've sure. got, uh, how, how many chapters in the state of Montana and, and what's, what's their driving uh, force to volunteer?
2: Yeah, we have 14 chapters in Montana and, and they can all be, have a little bit of life of their own, but again, Montana is so big. I mean, the habitat from Northwestern side to the Eastern side of Montana is almost like the earth and the moon again. But, uh, you know, obviously very passionate bird hunters, um, You know, we've had significant land acquisitions in Montana, and that's Mm. always kind of rallied the troops. I mean, as good as public access is in the West, I mean, you can never have enough. I don't think that mission, just like ours, will ever be completed. So we we own, PF holds title on several really nice pieces of property in Montana that are are no secret. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I refer everyone to them just to see the amount of habitat restoration and habitat improvement that's been done on them, but uh, you know, they they get hit pretty hard by hunters. And
0: so, since they're no secret, yeah. Uh, w- <laughs> what are some of those uh, p- land acquisitions that we've uh, yeah. ca- because you're right, they are, I mean, one of them, Coffee Creek, has been yeah. on the cover of National Geographic. Sure. Right? So, yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about some of those land Man, acquisitions.
2: They might not invite me to the next chapter meeting. Yeah. <laughs> continue to talk about them, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Montana's been kind of on the leading edge of some of those land acquisitions with PF over the years. I mean, Coffee Creek was purchased in 1998. That's 800 acres that borders some other public land. And one of the one of the driving forces behind purchasing that was it was going to be subdivided up and made a residential piece of property. Really, And in Montana, you cannot hunt on state land within a quarter mile of a resident. You can't fire a gun within a quarter mile of a residence without permission. And so if that would have been purchased and subdivided up and turned into homes, it would have literally rendered that entire state land adjacent to it useless you know so that was a driving factor behind the chapter leading the way to make that acquisition and it's a similar story with wolf creek which was purchased 10 years later in 2008 and that's uh 1200 acres and again this was a piece of property that was in in jeopardy of being some divided up and in, into little ranchettes and would have sort of you know um, destroyed the access there for hunting and, 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 and uh, you know, the birds, and that chapter is very passionate about it, and again, led the way to to make that purchase. We're working on a couple of new ones. Uh, probably people, if you're paying attention to the PF social media channels, have heard of the Teton River Project. Uh, 2017, we, we purchased the first chunk. Um, it's it's right about 45 minutes north of Great Falls on the Teton River. Uh, the first chunk is 280 acres, but over the lifetime of this project, between some planned gifts and some other acquisitions, it's gonna it's gonna hook up 15, 15 to 1700 acres of, of property that PF could potentially own, and connect that to another 1700 acres of state land. So you're gonna have over 3500 acres of contiguous great habitat for birds. Uh, man, it's full full of mule deer. Shouldn't mention that <laughs> <laughs> antelope up top. I mean, it's I mean it's a great thing about Montana is anytime you're influencing habitat you're just it's just such an umbrella for all these other species that are out there so
0: yeah folks uh, y- you mentioned uh social media look up the pheasants forever video with onyx maps sure. um jake schiller our guy video guy did just a stunning video i think it's the best video our organization's ever produced um teton river last that yeah, what have came out last About fall a year, yeah, yeah. oh he was summer. out
2: there making it a year ago yeah it just came out in the last the last fall
0: yeah but um, you know i hopped that in the old uh, google machine and you'll find it it's a, <laughs> yeah it's i mean a it's really really cool video it's
2: pretty easy to just fly a drone over that country and be like yeah i'm
1: done
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and land acquisitions in the west are not exclusive to montana you've had some big ones in your region too yeah
1: yeah i the one that i think is really successful is uh It's a Marty Ranch in Idaho, and that connected two existing sections of public land and made them one continuous one. And um, like I mentioned on the the Idaho podcast, uh, they went down there to to, uh, do a site visit and saw almost every single big game animal that Idaho has to offer Hmm. on that property, as well as pheasants and quail and waterfowl when they come through.
0: That's pretty impressive. It is. Um, So we've got... uh even some little smaller ones, too, right? There was the knot acquisition in Washington, yep. so it's not all you know giant Teton River. We've done a fair amount of acquisition of all shapes and sizes in the West from a chapter motivation perspective beyond land acquisition, um, what other things you know so sort of motivate and get get folks engaged when they start thinking about holding the banquet and and getting involved in the in the organization in Idaho in Oregon. In Nevada and Arizona, what's, um, you know what are the triggers for them?
1: I mean, you know, improving bird habitat. I I think, at least in my states, when you talk about pheasant specifically, the habitat's disappearing very quickly. You know, some of the other western birds, they're in the more natural landscapes, and yeah, they get Im- impacted by fire and drought. But um, the pheasant habitat, specifically with the agriculture changes in the West, you, you know, it's talking about. Oregon and Washington now you've got hops growers and orchards and vineyards and uh, that doesn't leave a lot of cover for birds so um, a lot of my chapters there are really focused on working on existing habitat that you know might be state-owned that is protected and they'll they'll look to improve that and usually it's water delivery systems you know water is a big thing in the west and uh, they'll, they'll plant seed seed plots and cover and uh, direct the water to it so that it doesn't dry up and you know, end up being useless when it's needed.
3: Uh, I'll go
2: ahead, Chad. Oh, I was going to like, not to just say ditto to what Matt does. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think there's a lot of that, too, in Montana. But, I mean, we have a great R3 effort. I think we have, you know, one of the best youth engagement chapters in the country in the Flathead Valley uh, where I've been living. And they've been running a youth shooting league over the last 20-plus years. Last year we had 85 kids going through it over an eight-week period and that's, you know, we're touching them eight weeks there, and then, t- you know, youth hunts and, and getting them out on field days. And, and, I mean, I think the future of hunting is strong in Montana, and we want to, you know, keep it that way, but also, you know, be a model for, for other states across the country to, you know, to continue to, to get people engaged in hunting and habitat and all that stuff.
0: You guys have mentioned pheasants a few times, but w- what about chapters that are focused on quail? Or even do we have some chapters that are like, you know, huns, huns, what, baby, uh, or where it's at, and that's what I want to do?
3: Well, I can talk a little bit about the Southwest and the chapters with the quail. I mean, they're, they're fo- they're, the things that they're interested in, of course, are our three, that they're really interested in getting people out. Um, the next thing that the, like the Southern California chapters and our Southwest chapters are access, access mm-hmm. to their public lands. I mean, Arizona it's, itself is it's 50% federal, 30% state, and then 20% private. So it's mostly public land state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those those lands can be blocked off really quickly by where the private land is and where roads are. So our chapters down there are really interested in access, and they're really interested in habitat as well, but it's habitat on federal lands, working on the Forest Service, working on BLM, things like that. Um, and a lot of their activity, our Southern California quail chapters, I mean, they're, 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 they're managing little quail drinkers on the forest. Guzzlers? Guzzlers, yeah, th- about 500 of them. They maintain them, they bring water out to them. That's, that's their life, that's their passion, that's what gets them up, that's what gets them going. So... so uh,
0: you know, you're a guy from Roseville, Minnesota. Yeah. You probably don't, you know, you didn't know what a guzzler was until you went west. Explain yeah. it to folks that uh, so, in, in, so never, it's you a, know, they're it, thinking of it, drinking yeah, fire. Yeah, water. yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's,
3: it's kind of a basic little deal, you, you know. So we get rain once in a while in the southwest, maybe not real often, but once in a while. And so you, you put out a like a rain trough, like a platform that catches rain. It funnels it into a, a tank, a, you know, some sort of cistern or something like that. Then you run a little drinker out of it, and, and the quail can come and drink out of that thing. And so can all wildlife. You now the, the quail ones are specifically set up so you can't have deer or other other bigger animals come in. But but uh, in other parts of the, like in Arizona, New Mexico, they got huge water drinkers that they're, they're catching thirty thousand gallons and holding water year round because we get rain once a year and it's there for all the wildlife. So so yeah, that's what they
0: are. I, I mean, can you like all year long? with there's water in there i mean are there birds around those all, guzzlers all, all the time all the time no all kidding. the time yep so uh, do people like target guzzlers from a hunting perspective
3: they do they do Is now they, they won't they won't just you know the birds won't just sit on the guzzler sure. well they will sometimes but that's but, kind of the, but you, the you, magnetic you, force you, yeah through an area. you think about some you know how far quail will go you know and if you if you know where the the guzzlers are and you do a half a mile circle around that you're gonna you're gonna find some birds huh.
1: so um yeah i think that's the key to finding birds all across the west you know whether it's a guzzler or not you have an app like onyx and you look on there and you see all the springs and you know i mean that's how i i target every hunt i look for springs and creeks and um you find go water going like you that find life. and hmm. nevada actually uh releases a guzzler map really to show everyone where it is and um, you know, a lot of big game guys, a lot of chucker guys use that to, to hone in on wildlife.
0: Does, uh, Himalayan snowcock hunters target water too?
1: They don't. I mean, you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you got to explain that reference. Why am I,
1: yeah, I was crazy enough to go hunt it last year in uh, in, um, the Ruby mountains in Nevada, uh, above 10,000 feet. And, um, sometimes there's water there, sometimes there's not, and, uh, you know, there are lakes up there, but. Drinking water when you're uh, you're out hunting that bird is not easy to find, as, as I told you before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so spoiler alert: you found two, right? I got one, uh,
1: and um, you know, between three of us, we got we got four, which is just under the the whole harvest for the year.
0: Really? Uh-huh. And if folks want to see that hunt, it was there's a video. Yeah. Right? If Project you go on Dund- uh,
1: YouTube and search uh, "Holy Grail Himalayan Snowcock," you'll find that.
0: And it it was a project up upland production and uh and matt's you're kind of the the key um person in that video
1: Uh, myself and travis yeah Yeah, and then uh we we had a guy called terry with us as well and it was a team of three and we worked pretty hard and you know half luck and half hard work and (laughs) made it happen
0: (laughs) so I'm going to transition in a moment to, uh, you know, kind of that bucket list bird hunt in the West. And and I want to get your guys sort of input for folks that are, are are dreaming about the West. But before we transition to, you know, hunting talk, um, tell me a little bit about where you're hoping to start chapters. Um, You know, if folks want to get involved in pheasants forever and or quail forever, even sage grouse Mm -hmm. in the, in the West, I, you know, Tell me where you're looking for help, where you're looking for chapters, and how folks can get uh, connected. We'll start with Chad in Montana. Sure.
2: I mean, I think there's tremendous opportunity there. I mean, Montana has a $7.1 billion outdoor recreation industry, and I kind of think outside the box a little bit. I mean, we got chapters in most of the quote-unquote major cities in Montana because there are no major cities in Montana. We have less than a million people, but everything related to the outdoors, this organization you know, has a model that can help with that. So I think that whether there's a group of people out there who want to watch birds whether there's people group people out there who want to get a bee colony established i think that there's tremendous opportunity and maybe some of those alternative things uh maybe outside of bird hunting i mean maybe they want to work on migration corridors for antelope maybe Mm -hmm. they want to do some elk habitat restoration we have the model that allows them to do that you know everything you know the other wildlife part of our mission i think is really key to where growth is in the west
0: and in montana we have existing established chapters in most of the big towns, right? In sure. Missoula, yeah. Bozeman. We don't have a chapter in in Butte, right?
2: We don't have a chapter in Butte. We have one in Dillon, uh, an hour south of there. Um, we, you know, we don't have a we have a couple chapters on the High Line, but that's a that's a long area. We don't have a chapter in Glasgow. There's 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 some great bird hunting there, and we could probably. Figure something out. What
0: about Plentywood and Scoby? Plentywood,
2: Scoby. we got one in Northeast Montana that covers those two counties. Uh, again, a 30 30 year chapter. So,
0: and if <laughs> folks want to learn more about chapters in Montana and get involved, how they connect with you?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a we have a Montana Facebook page, Montana Pheasants Forever. Um, you can Google Montana Pheasants Forever. We'll probably landy on our website. There's a real easy link there. that says contact us. That's going to go directly to my email box. Um, you know, and I'm quick about responding. You can get in touch of course through the national organization you, you click contact us on the national website and we got I think the people in place at headquarters that'll put them in touch with me so yeah yeah
0: Haley's it. right behind you saying thumbs up she'll help get you, <laughs> get you right. connected yeah uh the rest of the western states uh where are you hoping to start chapters Matt well
1: like, like Chad said there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of opportunity to think outside of the box and I think you know that. The pheasant scares a few people in the West because it it doesn't resonate with them, so they don't make the connection with the organization. You know, a lot of people in the West are diehard chucker hunters or forest grouse or big game or whatever, but, um, you know, the work we do, it's habitat work, and it it helps every animal out there. So, yeah, we may have a pheasant on our logo or a quail, but um, the beauty of our chapter is that chapter leaders can do whatever kind of work they want, and it it benefits all the wildlife, so... Um, I don't want people to get scared off by the pheasant. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in my region. Um, You know, I'd like to see uh, presence in Nevada, you know, Reno, Elko, um, Vegas, um, in Idaho, uh, Pocatello, uh, Moscow, um, in Oregon, Portland, Bend, Baker City. I think those are all places that, that could really benefit with Chapters.
0: Will there be a Himalayan snowcock chapter of Pheasants Forever in the Ruby Mountains? <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see one. <laughs> yeah. You could be the president of that chapter, too, I, right? I mean, I, I'd move to Elko for that. <laughs> it's uh,
1: funny. Well, funny.
0: Uh, what else in the West, Al?
1: Uh, I mean,
3: if you're talking about chapters, I mean, we don't have a chapter in New Mexico anymore. Can you believe that? There's, mm. there's four quail species in New mm. Mexico. It's 50% public land. There's hunting opportunities. It's great. It's the epicenter for scale quail but we have no chapters so roswell las cruces albuquerque san i mean pick pick a spot so we we definitely need to do some work in in new mexico arizona's got spots california's got spots i mean you know california's got 40 million people and we have 2200 i think about 2200 members in california we probably have some opportunity there i was talking to their upland game bird biologist and he was saying, yeah, you know, our, our hunter numbers go down every year in our upland birds, like, less than 1% of the state. And I said, well, 1% of the state is 400,000 people. We should, that's more in our membership in right. one state. Right. So, I mean, so there's opportunities there. It's just we got to get them get engaged. So tying back to maybe the other part of what you are asking is what can we do, right? Mm. What, what can we do down there? And we're doing a lot of cool stuff for, for scale quail. And you get, you know, Chad and Matt have been talking about the overlap in habitat. Scale quail is like a natural, and it's, it's with pronghorn. It's a grassland species. Pronghorn are in the decline in, in Arizona, actually, which is sounds weird, but it, they are. And so the whole the whole range for for scale quail is all grassland. It's all pronghorn, so we got that overlap, natural overlap where we're benefiting multiple species, and uh, we should be able to generate a lot of interest in in what we do because we're good at it. All
0: right, so so we'll transition to you know the. F- kind of the fun side of the topic yeah. right now, not that habitat isn't fun oh no, i got gotcha, you yeah. the cotton candy uh, let's, let's go to hunting and do sort of lightning round discussion you mentioned uh scale quail and pronghorns where where am i gonna go for a scale quail pronghorn mixed bag
3: <laughs> anywhere in the southeast part of arizona if you can get drawn yeah. that, that's the issue uh, anywhere in new mexico if you can get drawn that that's kind of the, the 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 cool and bad thing about about uh the west right a lot of the states not all of them montana is awesome because you can just go there but as as an out-of-state resident it's it's hard to get drawn uh but that's the beauty of quail hunting Mm -hmm. right is is as while you're waiting to get get that pronghorn hunt or a mule deer hunt or whatever um you, uh, you can come out and chase a bunch of quail
0: where can you get the most epic mixed bag of upland birds in the west
1: he's probably i'm gonna gonna say montana send everyone there but um, (laughs) but, but we know you're lying yeah i mean i'm pretty lucky living in reno um i i counted it out the other day and within five hours we've got eight or nine species of upland birds
0: reno nevada Mm -hmm. really
1: my friend's gonna beat me up now
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what are the eight or nine species um
1: so within five hours we have um pheasant valley quail Mountain quail, Campbell's quail, Hungarian partridge, um, sage-grouse, uh, Himalayan snowcock, ptarmigan. I don't know what I'm at now. I might have missed one, but...
0: It's pretty impressive.
1: Oh, the grouse. we got the blue grouse, grouse mm-hmm. rough grouse, um, both dusky and sooty's. Um, so yeah it's it's a lot of birds
0: challenge accepted. <laughs> you coming out? <laughs> for nine upland species, yeah. <laughs> what what time of year would you go?
1: Uh it it depends on the species but uh a lot of places, you know, once it gets wet in Nevada, the the roads get really muddy or you know, you're asking for trouble and hmm. you know, with chucker hunting and a lot of hunting in Nevada, you're pretty remote, there's no cell service. You can get stuck easily when it gets wet. So, so when does it get wet? Is that Uh, like It January? was December this year uh, that we got the first major snow. So, I mean, before September is good, mm-hmm. um, and you can focus on water, um, you know, because the birds ha- are hanging around the water sources before the snow comes. I actually like hunting in the snow because I like to see the tracks, and, you know, it, it excites me if, when I see tracks, even if they're probably like a week old. But mm-hmm. um, I, I love hunting in the snow. Uh,
0: chad as a native michigander right Mm -hmm. so you're used to bundling up and you know wearing you know a pair of boots running a bird dog what's different about transitioning from a midwest bird hunt to when you head west Uh, what what changes in your gear in your preparation in, in how you approach a hunt
2: well, to put it into some perspective, um, when I left the house last year for our opening weekend of pheasant season, and we happened to have four banquets in Montana over about the course of 10 days, I had my rifle in my truck, two shotguns, a bow, seven deer tags, two antelope tags, two elk tags, five turkey tags, my upland stamp, my, you know my duck stamp, a fishing pole so that's how it's how different. many
0: pairs of underwear did you have
2: <laughs> probably one or two <laughs> and i spent you know i mean you uh, suck chad you suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, and meanwhile i'm a montana resident so you know there, but there's just as many opportunities for the non-resident to come out so that that's what's really different to me i mean if you if you're in shape you can hike anywhere in this country i mean you know the elevation might might uh play a role but i mean there's just so much opportunity out there to do all this stuff hmm. to ha- you talk about mixed bags yeah, he's got the bird one, but I I would say Montana's got the got the whole the whole spectrum of things feathers you can do feathers and fur feathers and fur man. <laughs> so if you're gonna if you're gonna come out to Montana, plan ahead. Um, you know,
1: there's a lot of a lot of. If you want to
0: add fins to the mix, who cool. wins?
1: Oh, oh boy, <laughs> it's probably that might be a tie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Montana's uh, got great uh, fishing, uh, yeah. so do we. Hmm. Yeah. We've got bigger trout. I'm just gonna put that out there. now i wouldn't discount arizona for
3: weather so in february if you're an archer you can get an over-the-counter coos tag you can get an over-the-counter javelina tag you can chase quail and you can bring your wife with and set her in a winery so you can you know stay out of jail and you know it's a pretty pretty awesome time to be down there in january that's pretty valuable it it can be
0: (laughs) you know as i think about you know watching your guys's um, instagram feeds you know, one of the things that really captures me is the beauty of the landscape, too. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. we talked about this on the Idaho podcast. Just, you know, being in Hell's Canyon, you know, you almost give a shit about what birds you get. It's like you're on top of this canyon and you say, sort of like, wow, this is, this is what's right in
1: the world. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. That's what we said on the snowcock hunt. We said, you know, if we don't even see a bird... It'll sti- still be one of the most epic backpacking trips we've, we've ever done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's beautiful up there, and it's a real secret, that area.
0: And I, I think the same when I've hunted in Montana. You know, it, it, folks dream of that, you know, utopic German short hair on point. Mm, or whatever breed, <laughs> wire hair English setter, or a golden retriever. Golden retriever. <laughs> that's not the point. The the bird flushing out of the grass in the shadow of the foothills of the Rockies, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. I mean, who doesn't dream about that hunt? Yeah, I hear you. Can can a person go find that hunt on public land?
2: Absolutely, for sure. You know, and that's a that's another big thing. If You're coming out west. I mean, bring your camping gear. I mean there's so much public land and you can camp on any national forest or blm land you know and you can get up in the morning and hunt right from your truck i mean that's that's probably one of the coolest things that that anybody can do you know hunt right from camp and not have to drive out anywhere it's it makes it perfect for a road
1: trip too i mean you can oh, come yeah. and just drive around the whole whole west for a month and you know hunt more than eight or nine species mm-hmm
0: drive around the west for a (laughs) minute. that'd be awesome we kind of do that
1: yeah (laughs) yeah so
0: help us you know you say you can find public land Uh, how do you get started how you know because do you call the biologist for idaho game fish and parks do you go online and download maps do you go to onyx like help us out what's step one
2: yeah. I mean, it never hurts to talk to the local biologist or even the bi- biologist we have with PF, but I mean, they, they get, they literally get hundreds of calls and, everybody, and everybody's getting the same information. You guys
0: just get hammered, um, in the fall yeah. with people wanting to know yeah. where to go. Oh yeah. You do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it can, it can vary from year to year. A lot of it again, depends on weather, but you know, I always tend to steer people towards the PF properties just so they can see the work. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's nobody's going to give away any secrets. No. It, no. There's but, no expectation of giving yeah, away yeah. secrets. But yeah. there's
0: also, you know, if you're in, you know, southern Iowa, and you've always dreamed of that flushing rooster in the shadow of the Rockies.
2: Sure. You know,
0: but you don't have the money to go stay at a you know a, a high-end lodge and make that happen you want to find public land and that you know if doing it yourself diy style yeah, yeah, yeah is so much more gratifying anyways yeah but the intimidation is like, yeah. where the heck do i start
3: or a lot of the states now have i mean you, you know one of the places i would say start is a lot of the states have some online tools for you some sort of online mapping that at least shows you kind of all right, here's where the public land is, and they'll give you a, a somewhat of a vague description of here's what you can find in this area, whatever species, so, so yeah, if you, if you have an idea of which state, you, or even if not, you know, if you just mm-hmm. want to come out west, pick a state, go to the, 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 the State Wildlife Agency's page, and you'll find some sort of a hunt planner, where to hunt, something, something along that line, mm-hmm. um, and just play around on it for a while. There, a lot of times they're clunky, so be patient, mm-hmm. but, but uh, you'll, get, you'll get some pretty good starting information. From there, you know that's when I think, when you, when you have that little bit of background, when you call the, the biologist, you're going to get better help if that if that makes any sure. sense. Yeah. And so, because you kind of talk about, you at least sound like you know where you're going. Hey, right. I want to go to this butte or this this or that or whatever, and then you'll start to hone that that huge landscape down to two or three canyons. Right. You, you know, and that can be really helpful. So. You know, when I talk to folks going to the
0: north woods for the first time to grouse hunt you know first thing you think about is buddy bring your gps yeah because mm-hmm. you know you're you're gonna get turned around looking at my buddy matt morlock listening you, you're gonna get turned around walking through the first set of trees <laughs> if you're you <laughs> yep. know flatland grassland hunter right yep. uh, what from the reverse chad as, as you think about folks heading to the west you know there's a difference in the kind of boots you need. Like, what other gear do you think about? Um, you know, coming prepared with that you wouldn't normally expect if you're from Southern Illinois.
2: Sure. I mean, you know, it's uh, like you say. I mean, a good pair of boots will, or a bad pair of boots. you want to hunt. Um, you're going to put
0: on a lot of miles. So and what kind of boots? Like, they need, you need really yeah. aggressive soles in the wet, like especially I where do. Matt's hunting, right? Yeah. I mean, I wear. A, a mountaineering boot (laughs) a lot of the
2: time the same boot i wear for big game i wear bird hunting but uh, it's not flat country it's not not even where it looks like it's flat you get into these coolies and these canyons and stuff and a lot of side hill and a lot of crossing creeks and stuff to find birds i mean it's not going to be hunting many fence rows in montana you're going to be you're going to be out in a lot of native landscape you know and so you just Mm got to be prepared it's a little bit more physical but um you know it's it's yeah, I mean, just be prepared for any type of weather. Doesn't matter what time of year it is. It could be snowing, it could be raining, it could be 90 degrees in October. You know, it's just all that sort of stuff. How
0: much water are you carrying?
2: Depends on how far I plan on going and how much water is. Available. I mean, there are times I'll take a water filter with me for me and the dog, and just yeah. do it that way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, stop and take breaks. But yeah, it can it can vary.
3: Water is important, though elevation. It's probably way it's different probably, down in Arizona too. Yeah, so. it's it's it, well everywhere in the West. I mean, yeah. it's it's just you know hunting in minnesota I, d- I didn't carry a whole lot of water with me because i wasn't i wasn't walking for 20 miles and at a time i'd you know kind of do your loop and you'd come back and you'd get a drink I you never go out without
0: water you guys hunt with gps's
1: yep always uh, yeah and on the dog as well and, yep. and going back to the to the water thing i mean it, it's important to bring water out with you but it's also important to have some in the truck mm-hmm. you know an extra gallon yeah and also be prepared to get stuck out there that yeah, night mm-hmm, i mean that's a big thing a lot of the places we go are so remote that if you get stuck there's nobody coming for a long time and so you've got to be prepared to spend the night there and you know have extra food and water and you know some warmth to get you through the night just in case yeah
0: how, how often that happened?
1: whenever it rains <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's places
2: in my, we call it gumbo like you go in on a hard dirt road and if it rains you could be in there for. A few. i got stuck two days bow hunting this year couldn't get out of where i was but yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. And, I mean, make sure you have enough stuff in your truck to to get through a day or two if you, if it comes to that.
0: You know, we we talked um, yesterday about grizzlies. Yeah. How often well, you gonna encounter uh, something that'd eat you in the West?
2: Well, fortunately, not that often. But it does happen every year. Like bird bird hunters are running into into grizzlies. I mean, they're expanding their range particularly out the riparian corridors which we're obviously targeting as bird hunters too you know on a lot of that landscape and so they just follow that food path out from the mountains and you know every year a bird hunter gets tangled up with one and fortunately, I don't think we've had any fatalities recently in Montana with any of our bird hunters but uh what about with dogs you have to
0: be worried about your dogs with the grizzlies yeah
2: yeah yeah I think so I mean they're those grizzlies are in the same habitat that those birds are you know and I mean all I can say there is if if you've got a pointing dog, you know how he acts. And if it's, if there's something he's not doing that you know is, is right, I'd back out. Like yeah, you don't know what's in there.
0: <laughs> well, will a pointer point to grizzly?
1: I have no experience. In that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I have mean, to worry about snakes. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there's another topic. Uh, yeah. Uh, what?
0: How? When do snakes go? Snakes uh, hibernate in the West. I suppose it's all temperature dependent. is. Right. Yeah. I, I've yeah.
1: seen them until the end of November. Wow. Yeah.
0: Is it something you should worry about?
1: I, th- I think you should be cautious. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting my dog snake train this summer. Um, I don't see a lot chucker hunting. I see them more when I drop down in, into those riparian areas and, you know, looking for the odd pheasant or quail down there. Hmm. Um, up in the chucker country, there's not a lot of water, so um, you see less snakes. But I mean, they're, they're all over the west, so yeah. you've got to be careful.
0: What's the most epic? western hunt that uh, when i just when you lay down at the final moments of your life <laughs> and you think back at your happy place what oh. what's the hunt that's gonna um, be in your mind
1: it would be the best chucker day ever you know chuckers just, are that good huh they're awesome yeah. they're great dog work and you know you never have the same shot twice and um, i'm just addicted to them i do 90 of my hunting is chucker hunting
0: really Chad?
2: For me, I mean, I'm a box checker, and that's why I have so many tags in my pocket. And I had some, some, some cool hunts this fall where I actually got my first sharp tail when I was out deer hunting. I was with my dad, and we kept jumping some Sharpies. And I said, I'm going to go get my shotgun. And strapped the rifle to the pack, ended up going out and shooting my first sharp tail that way. And then it shot a deer in the evening. And uh, <laughs> woke up another morning in, in southeast Montana with me and my dog camping in the back of the truck on some BLM property, walked over to a habitat project. One of our chapters had done shot a pheasant, put the dog in the truck, went to go look for antelope, ended up jump shooting some ducks and shooting my first antelope that evening, you know, all all in the same day, and then going back to my hotel room and cutting up an antelope in the hotel. And I'll never forget that. It's just Mm. stuff like that is what really drives me when you can just encounter so much wildlife over the course of a day or over the course of a week. And I hope to have... More of those, yeah.
0: You eat a lot of wild game, don't you? I
2: haven't bought meat in a year. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite meat to eat? Mountain lion. Really? It's awesome. It's kind of. I don't uh, believe you, man. I don't believe <laughs> you. I, I, I mean, it's,
0: it's somewhat like pork. It's pork. It's just yeah. like
2: pork. Like if you if I, I I did a whole bone-in ham this year for my family at uh, Thanksgiving, and I, they thought it was ham. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I. I I don't know that I'd categorize it as my favorite, oh, but it's, so it, it's definitely up there. It's yeah. it's tremendous.
2: Yeah. Mountain goat's a close second, so it just has yeah. something to do with being
3: on the mountain, I guess. Huh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> huh. What about you, Al?
3: Me? I don't know. If I mean, my dream hunt, and it's a little specific because of my background as a biologist, but the, the Kaibab National Forest was set aside by Teddy Roosevelt, and it's got some of the biggest mule deer in the world. And so there's a December mule deer hunt that i'd like to do and then that's the also the place in arizona where we have chucker and blue grouse like oh. c- i could do all three and and uh just it'd be awesome hmm. it'd just be awesome well
0: as we uh sort of wrap up this episode of on the wing podcast looking for you know wh- what are your final thoughts related to you know folks listening you'd like to to get them engaged in the organization or encourage people to to take a trip west for a bird hunt win what's left uh sticking in your head at the end here
1: i mean i think for me it's just anyone listening that isn't already involved in a chapter or doesn't have a chapter in their area to get in touch with one of us and you know hopefully get something started because you know the west has tremendous opportunity and um we need to expand our membership and our presence there yeah
2: i'd kind of say the same thing i mean if you love anything in the outdoors anything we got a place for you in this organization so
3: be engaged get engaged you know However that is kind of tying up to what Matt said, reach out and become a chapter, reach out to any of us, reach out to any of our biologists, just, just help. I mean, we, we have such huge landscapes and such Mm -hmm. cool opportunity and it's, it's, you know, you were talking about the challenges, but it's really pretty easy. It's, it's not as scary as you think. So come visit, you know,
0: we just need more people. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, Matt, Chad, Al, thanks very much for for joining me in, on this episode. It was a really fun conversation. I I might join you for
1: that nine-bird <laughs> upwind. Uh, Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm in, we, man. we
2: got to get Matt game big game hunting. He's never got a big game animal, so yeah, that's, that's my a, challenge. It's the same season
1: as bird hunting. I'm I just with told Matt, you, dude. I like, just told you we can do birds. both. can do both. You're not here You can do both. Can you. both. You
3: can do both.
1: Yeah. And when there's more feathers yeah. <laughs> to chase with your dog, and, like, I'm, I'm with Matt. Yeah, nine birds. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> fill the freezer, but. I, I love it uh, that's awesome
0: all right folks uh, well it, we do definitely want you to get involved in pheasants forever and quail forever in the western united states lots of opportunity to join the organization and make a difference for habitat for pheasants for quail sage grouse chuckers the new Himalayan snowcock chapter in the Ruby Mountains. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Wherever you want to get involved, we have a place for you in this organization. PheasantsForever.org, QuailForever.org. I'm Bob St. Pierre. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. We'll see you somewhere in Nevada later this fall.
3: Uh